I'm Meridian Baldacci, Director of Strategy at Family Policy Alliance. Just last week, I was in Charleston, South Carolina for the inaugural Social Conservative Conference, or we've been calling it the SoconCon. It was the gathering of the nation's leading social conservatives who discussed how we can work together to protect life and family values nationwide. Among the many leaders who were there were two people I want to introduce you to today, Katie Faust, who is the founder and president of Them Before Us, and Joseph Backholm, who's a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at Family Research Council. Today, you'll get to hear from Katie on some dangerous legislation she's fighting, and from Joseph on why, in his words, we are in a religious war. Stay tuned. We are here at the inaugural Social Conservative Conference, or SoconCon is what we've been calling it, and I'm with Katie Faust. Uh, she's the head of Them Before Us, and I'm so excited that you're here with us, Katie. It's good to have you here today. It is a joy to be here. Uh, I wasn't sure if I should come because I'm like, what is it even going to be like? And then I got here and I was like, I love every single person here. There are so many people doing such good work in this room, so I'm so grateful to join you. Well, I, I would love to start off with you just talking about them before us and what it is. I love the name of it. I, th I think it's, it's kind of self-explanatory once, once you hear what it is, but I think it's, it's cool. Can you talk about that? The idea is that children should come before adults. And there's really very few areas of American policy today where you actually see that children's rights are elevated above what adults want. I think we saw that the most starkly in the response to the COVID pandemic, where kids were last their needs, their rights, everything was the bottom of the totem pole um, when it came to our pandemic response and kids have suffered and will they ever recover? Some won't because of our drastic lockdown policies. Um, but now I actually say that we see that in every marriage and family issue as well. The idea is that when we're talking about the definition of marriage or looking at no-fault divorce or same-sex parenting or reproductive technologies or even what is the purpose of adoption, all of those issues obsessively focus on what adults want. And it's always the kids that suffer when we get those questions wrong. So the idea is children's right to a mother and father needs to come before adult desires. Um, and the good news is that when we can focus on children and elevate their rights, we get the right policy answers 100% of the time. So you, you talked about the right to a father and a mother. What does some of that look like? I know you have specific policy principles that you like to talk about within that. What we do is we just say, we begin with, what about the child? We begin with, children have a right to their mom and dad. That is where we start. And then we start looking at all these other issues, right? So if children have a right to their mother and father, then what do we think about marriage? Well, marriage becomes a matter of justice for children because it's the only institute that unites the two people to whom children have a natural right. Well, then what do we think about divorce? Well, divorce halves a child's relationship with their mother or father um, in the best case scenarios. And so what we know about divorce is it should not happen casually, right? It should be a last resort, a sort of amputation when the gangrene won't stop spreading. And that's not really what divorce is in this country today. Well, what about same-sex parenting? Well, when you're looking at a child with two moms or two dads, you're looking at a child who has lost their mom and dad. That's an injustice. Well, what about the use of reproductive technologies and sperm and donor egg and surrogates? Well, all of those situations intentionally cut a child off from a mother or father to whom they have a natural right. And it's an injustice whether or not the people employing those technologies are single or married or gay or straight. What about adoption? Well, if children have a right to their mother and father, what do we do for the child that has lost that? The child is the client in that equation. 
Adoption is not a means for adults to get kids. It is a just society's response to children who have lost their parents, and those children deserve a mother and father. So it's sort of a template that you can lay over the top of any complicated or maybe not so complicated marriage and family issue and come up with a solution that not only protects the individual hearts of children, but actually leads to social thriving. I love that. So I want to ask you about one specific policy that I know you've been working on in this regard, which is the Uniform Parentage Act. I don't think a lot of people know what that is. To be honest, I didn't know what that was until I heard you talking about it. So what is this? So when we look at threats to children, there are cultural threats when it comes to like, what is the culture saying about kids? And some of those damaging ideas are like, biology doesn't matter. Love makes a family. Or you can have two moms or two dads. Moms don't matter. Dads don't matter. So there's a big cultural threats. There's technological threats there, and that is massive increase in reproductive technologies that allow you to treat, treat children as disposable and designer products. But there are legal threats to children, and the Uniform Parentage Act is one of the greatest legal threats to children that we are facing today. And most people don't know about it, but it is coming to a state like yours very, very soon. In essence, what the Uniform Parentage Act does is it redefines parenthood. So historically, the way that we have understood parenthood is either you are a parent by biology, you gave birth to that child, you're a genetic parent, or you're a parent by adoption. You went through the needed hoops to prove that you were actually going to provide a safe home for the child that is being placed with you. Those are the two legitimate means to parenthood from a children's rights perspective. What the Uniform Parenting Act does is it introduces a new track for parenthood, and that is the track of intent. If I intend to parent this child, then I can be the parent of the child right? And in essence, what that means is if you have the money to assemble sperm and egg and womb, then you can walk out of the hospital with a completely unrelated child and full parental rights to that kid. Even though in the hospital room next door, you have the adoptive parents who are walking out of the hospital with an unrelated child who had to go through months of screening and vetting and background checks to prove that they were not going to be harmful, abusive, neglectful to that child, right? So what the Uniform Parentage Act does functionally is it treats children as commodities. Literally, that if you can purchase the child, you get the baby. It sets us back a couple hundred years when it comes to the rights of humans. So you said this is, this is coming to people's states near them. What can they be doing uh, to, to be aware of this, to, to, to get to know more about this and, and what it could mean for their state? First of all, I think you need to fight properly, right? This is not a matter of, well, oh, should the insurance companies cover this kind of thing? And, well, uh, you know, is this really fair to the adults? No, you need to begin, as with all matters of marriage and family, with what about the kid? First, you begin with the child, their fundamental right to life, to their mother and father, their right to be born free and not bought and sold. Start there, right? Frame this issue as a matter of being for children, not against adults, not against people that are trying to form modern families or struggling with infertility and want to use reproductive technologies. It's not about being against those adults. It is protecting the rights of every child. You need to create a child-centric narrative and campaign where you share the stories of kids who have been intentionally separated from their mother or father because of sperm donation, egg donation, in essence, because adult desires were elevated above their right to their mother and father. Look those kids in the face 
and their suffering and their identity struggles and their mother hunger and their father hunger and their feelings of commodification and then say, it's really good that we passed these laws that in essence cut off your relationship with your mom or dad. And that's not a case many people can make. Well, and I think that we're right now living at a time where people so easily do think parenting can look like any combination of things. That's the narrative, right? Is that it could be two moms or it could be two dads. I know that's part of your story and we don't have time to get into that here, but if you if you learn more about Katie, you'll hear this is a part of her story is you could have two moms or you could have two dads or you can have a single parent home and kids kids will grow up. Kids, kids, you know, you, again, this is, this is part of your story, but uh, what we know is that kids need a mom and a dad. Kids need to have that safe family structure. So I love that you're sharing that message. How can people get involved with your organization? You can go to thembeforeus.com, go down, subscribe, follow us on social media. Um, we are, a lot of people would ask me, like, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, global takeover. <laughs> global takeover. I want every marriage and family conversation to begin with, what about the child? These are their fundamental rights. And then all adults, single, married, gay, straight, fertile, infertile, conform to the rights of the child, right? And it's a matter of justice. We are talking about justice for children. And we cannot solve any of our major social ills that we are facing today in this country. There will be no social justice until we first secure justice for the individual child, especially in these foundational matters. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good to talk with you. Katie Faust, everyone. Go check out thembeforeus.com. To stay connected with other listeners, hear about current events affecting your family, and to share pictures and videos with your friends, follow Family Policy Alliance on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the links in the show notes, and we'll see you online. Joseph Backholm, who's with Family Research Council. Super excited that you're here, Joseph. I wanted to talk with you about something you're going to be talking about later in this conference, which is the idea that, and I'm going to put this in quotes because it's your term, we are in a religious war. What do you mean by that? You know, the policy debates that we're having, we often define in terms of like donkeys and elephants and red and blue, but really it's a, it's a, it's a conflict of worldviews that in really significant ways are just different religions competing. We know that Christians have holidays, but the left has holidays too. You know, we call it Christmas, they call it Pride Month. You know, exactly, you know, they, they celebrate things. We have icons, they have icons, they have flags, we have flags and symbols, right? And when you start to just look around the culture, what you realize is that Leftism and secularism fills the exact same purpose in people's life. It gives them meaning. It gives them a reason to wake up in the morning. It gives them a story about what's wrong with the world. It gives them a narrative for how to solve those problems, right? So these wars that we define and think of in, in political terms are really just competing worldviews. And, and it's important for us to understand that because we engage differently when we realize these are just religious wars. Okay. So, so what are some of these religions, other worldviews that you're seeing popping up? Well, primarily now we're just, it, it's 
secular humanism is a, a very uh, generic way to describe it, but it's accurate. It's a, it's this idea that we our, our existence is accidental. It has a natural origin, and the problem in the world is not sin. The problem in the world is injustice, you, and you solve that problem not through redemption through Jesus, right? But you solve that through revolution that happens politically. And our hope is not in a restored heaven and earth that God will create when he crushes sin finally. Our hope is in the utopia we will create on this earth once we seize enough political power to fix all the systemic problems that we are sure are at the root of our, you know, the, the problems in the world. So very different understanding of what the problem is, so they have a very different understanding of how to solve it. And I would add to that, we do penance by canceling people and then, you know, force, forcing them to, 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 yes, yeah. Exactly. That's a form of excommunication. That's, that's exactly right. If, if, you, if you violate the church's teachings, we will kick you out of the church. That's what we refer to as cancel culture. It's just a different church. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, my generation, I, I would say this whole LGBT ideology is definitely a part of this, right? It's a part of one of these, one of these ideologies. How does someone like me talk to a friend who's coming at, at the world from this perspective, who says, this, this is my worldview, this is my religion. How do we even start to break through that barrier? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, how do you start? I'd like to go back to the beginning, because what, what defines what a worldview is, is your assumptions about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did I come from? Does your life have meaning and why? Um, who determines what is right and wrong? If you, uh, it, once you answer those questions, then your beliefs about gender and marriage and sexuality, they start to make sense. Some people haven't done the work of connecting the things that they say believe about policy to their fundamental assumptions, right? But some people have, and it's the reason I think boys can become girls is because I believe my life is an accident. There's no authority above me. I determine truth for myself. My feelings determine what is true. Therefore, if I feel like I'm female, then I am, and there's no other standard that I could appeal to that would tell me I'm wrong, right? So that's actually a logical conclusion based on a naturalist set of assumptions. But if they're wrong, if they were actually created for a, pers for a purpose by somebody who knows what's best for them, then it's actually a big mistake to follow follow your heart, follow your feelings, because the one who created you and knows what's best for you has told you that's not the path to flourishing. How do we take this? We're, we're here at a public policy conference. So, so how do we take this kind of message and perspective and apply it to public policy? Where's the interconnection there? Well, for those who are engaged in public policy, I think this matters a lot because one, it changes the way you see the people that you're engaging with, right? When you understand that they're just adherents to a different religion, that they have a different worldview defined by their different assumptions, now it's not that they're crazy and they're not evil. They're just starting from a very different place. So I'm going to engage with them differently, but also understanding that this is fundamentally a spiritual war. It it elevates the conversation above this particular bill or this particular election. So I'm not being distracted by those things, right? Even if this election doesn't go the way I want it to, even if this bill doesn't go the way I want it to, I'm engaged forever because I understand that this is ultimately a Genesis 3 battle between good and evil, did God really say? So it transcends politics so we can engage joyfully, but we, we can also engage, you know, enduringly. I love that encouragement. I'm going to end us there. Thanks so much, Joseph, for talking with us, and we'll get you more coverage from the SoCon Con. Thank you so much for joining us today. To stay up to date on the fight to protect conservative values, hear more interviews like this, and stay in touch with Family Policy Alliance, check out the links in the description. Once again, I'm Meridian Baldacci, Director of Strategy at Family Policy Alliance. I'll talk with you soon.
brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.